If you're looking for proven ways to take your fundraising results to the next level, you're in the right place. Welcome to the Intentional Fundraiser Podcast, hosted by Tammy Zonker. Tammy has trained and led thousands of nonprofit organizations to collectively raise more than a half billion dollars and is also recognized as one of America's top 20 fundraising experts. This is the podcast where Tammy equips and empowers amazing fundraising pros like you to transform your fundraising so you can transform the world. And now, let's hear from Tammy. Today on the Intentional Fundraiser podcast, my guest is Justin Yasu. We both led one-day masterclasses at the Western Canada Fundraising Conference in Edmonton recently. He and our mutual friend, Tony Myers, who we both respect and adore beyond measure, they facilitated a great session about leading change with passion and with empathy. And I was so sad that my masterclass ran concurrently. Otherwise, I would have been the front row student in, in your masterclass, Justin. Justin is director of All Around Consulting, where they empower frontline people to lead and to achieve superior results. The work that they do with leaders, leaders who understand that their people are the key to their success, and they've used their proven high-performance process to empower increased productivity, engagement, and retention in as little as four weeks. He also develops and facilitates leadership courses at McEwen University in Edmonton and the Northern Alberta Institute of Technology. Justin was recently recognized by McEwen University as a distinguished alumni and by Edify Magazine as one of Edmonton's 2022 Top 40 Under 40. Justin served in Canada's Special Operations Forces Command from 2012 to 2018, a direct combat counterterrorism group to support Canadian foreign policy and security objectives everything from hostage rescue to humanitarian assistance and more. As a Canadian Special Forces operator, Justin was awarded with the Bravery Medal for his teamwork and leadership. Justin believes that through hardship and adversity, the strongest of bonds are realized and the greatest of leaders shine. He's driven by the realization that his present is the compounding effort of every experience choice, and consequence of his past. And for this reason, he's committed to living a life in competition, not with others, but with himself, demanding, expecting himself to live consciously every day with a standard of being better than yesterday. And I'll just add, you know, the more that I've learned about Justin, the more inspired I am. The words that I would use to describe him are intentional, disciplined, authentic, integrity, just just to name a few. So, Justin, welcome to the show. Thank you, Tammy. That's quite the intro. And yeah, humility, I, I appreciate it. That's it's a lot there. Thank you very much. It's all true. Here. And of course, I. it is an honor to be here because I, I love what you do and the time you spend to impact others and, and share, you know, what, what you're good at. And of course, given the fact that it's for nonprofits, it, it's, it's outstanding. So I'm happy to be here to support you in any way and have this great discussion. Awesome. Well, I know our listeners are going to get a lot of value. So truly, we're the grateful ones. So, you know, one of my favorite quotes comes from John F. Kennedy. And he said, high tide lifts all boats. Mm. 
And it comes to mind when I think of you, because I feel like that's what it would be like to be around you on a regular basis. Like it just elevates everyone's integrity and intentionality and level of excellence. So my question is really, have you always been this way? And if not, was there a defining moment where you made that commitment to yourself that you would kind of renounce mediocrity and inspire to be the best version of yourself every single day? Yeah, you know, self-awareness kind of comes with with time and with age. And I would say I'm substantially more self-aware today than I have ever been. And I know in a month from now, I will say the same thing. Because uh, that's, that's like you said, competition with self. And that includes the competition of knowing who you are and uh, what your triggers are, uh, what drives you, what doesn't, and how you could push through these the struggles of, of modern society. You know, I think we don't give ourselves enough credit to, to know that we just have to wake up and, and, and take on a challenge every day. That's survival challenge. To the, to, the, to the question per se, when did I know that? I think I'm, I'm just a byproduct of outstanding members, men- mentors and, and people that have been in my life throughout, whether that's me at the age of 12 to 19 and, and army cadets, all the way to the special forces community, to all these different aspects and, and places I've been. So I would say that comes, I wasn't always like that. I, would, I, I model the positive behavior that's been around me. Mm. You know, when I teach storytelling, I really encourage people to look for a moment I mean, you've had so many mentors and you've been so open to people pouring into you, it sounds like. Was there a special moment or specific moment? You mentioned the cadets. I wonder, you know, those are pretty formative years, Mm -hmm. 12 to 19. Yeah, you know, and that's the part, like cadets really, I, I feel like I have an advantage in life because I started my leadership journey at the age of 12 and and put in those leadership roles and taught that through, of course, the military definition of what leadership is and whether it's going to summer camps and, and, and leading and all that kind of stuff. So I guess one, one that stands out, I, we were out in a, in a, in a camp doing a, a adventure activity, I guess. And we were canoeing down, down a river and we'd have to stay, we'd have to sleep. It was a 300 kilometer canoe ride, but so we'd have to sleep during that process to finish the full canoe trip. And it was a downpour and oh. I, I pretty much slept in a puddle of water. I was just soaked and miserable. And my shelter, which was just a, a ground sheet, just a sheet that you kind of put up, had a lot of holes in it. And I was miserable. And I, I remember I woke up and, and this, the guys slept on one side and, and the girls slept in another area. And one of the girls came up running and said, hey guys, how's it going today? I'm like, I look at her, I'm like, someone slept well. Oh, no, I didn't. I pretty much slept in an ocean. It was terrible. And that those little, I guess that's where I want to go back to, like how she spun that, you know, and it's all those little things. And that's why I, I'm a strong believer that everybody's a mentor in your life and everybody provides that impact. And, and that's why for me, it's like being in this, in this consulting coaching side. And I guess people like to call it motivation. I, I really don't fully embrace that because I feel like you could, you could get that from anyone and everyone, whether that's your partner, your children, your neighbor. So. That's, that's, I guess that's one moment that I would, I would, I would reflect back on when I was younger, that kind of started shaping my, my perspective to say, I could control the worst case scenario. I control my emotions and how I, it was just rain and it was just wet. Everything else, I decided how I felt about it. Just like she decided that she was going to make it positive and, and yeah, so it, it happened early for me. So it made, 
my life easier as I, I, as I experienced harder challenges and hardships. How cool that you were present enough at 12 or however old you were on that yep. particular adventure. 14. To, 14 to see the lesson in that. Love mm -hmm. it. Love it. Well, talk to us about this amazing masterclass that you co-facilitated at Western Canada Fundraising Conference with Tony Myers, and specifically how the roles of passion, empathy, courage, and self-sacrifice in leadership and achieving excellence, like that cocktail and how, you know, those attributes, the passion, the empathy, how they build and create great leaders. Yeah, you know I want to give, again, a shout out to Tony. I know the community knows him very well. And uh, I am just so blessed that he said hi to me and he said, hey, I want to work with you uh, or together. And uh, yeah, he's just a wealth of knowledge. And that's the, the thing about being around people like that is the fact that I get to learn every time I'm beside Tony for free. And I, I just, I have so much gratitude to the fact that he spends time with me and that we got to do this conference together and yeah, he's more than double my age and, but he still believes in, in my experience and he believes in, in how I see the world and he values that and validates it for me. So he's been an outstanding human to me and I'm just so blessed that he's even recognized that I'm, you know, I never once thought I was part of the nonprofit community, right? Like I don't do nonprofits. And he's like, you've got three of them. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> I just want, that's just doing, you know? So. But yeah, Tony's just been, been amazing. So the conference there was, was great to be a part of. And we, we did talk about change and my go-to is always connecting it back to the individual. And the, the reason for that is I, I can't control the organization and what it decides. And I can't control people outside of myself, but I could control myself and I could understand the world through me. So we started that conference by doing just that, asking people to, to reflect back on a time where they experienced or decided to bring change into their life, into their personal life. And through that experience, we talked a little bit about the hardships and the complexity and, and, and the, the tension with self, you know, should I keep doing this plan? Am I actually losing weight? Should I move this? Should I change this career? All that, like that tension. Now imagine what a leader or an organization wants to create that change. So it's we started complex. with self. It's very complex. And sometimes we're not empathetic to that. And, but that's what we, we started with is to kind of connect people to that. And in addition to kind of what you talked about a little bit about empathy, courage, self-sacrifice, it's through my experience, I came to realize that everything is about the human connection. And I know I, I, you know, as a special forces operator, some would, would, would say, oh, as special forces operators, you kind of like hard and you don't, you don't really focus on that human connection and it can't be farther from the truth. We're also strictly driven by empathy and connection. And to me, connection is empathy, courage, and self-sacrifice. The empathy is, is what drives that, the courage, the action. And, and courage isn't jumping in front of a hail of bullets. It's just action. It's, it's, it's saying that, Hey, you know, you're, you're not doing too well, or you're, you're struggling. I will get you that cup of coffee, or I will help you with that project. And through that, you sacrifice a bit of yourself, right? You sacrifice your time, your money, your effort. And I think that needs to be rewarded. It's, it's a good thing to sacrifice. And it's selfish. Like being in the nonprofit world, like you get a lot of thank yous and all that. But the biggest thanks is, is also for me because I, I like to give. And yeah, so we, we try to embrace that and say it's okay. And it's, let's reward it. And 
connection is key. And, you know, Tony's all about relationships, right? And, and, and I'm, I was telling him, I'm all about connection. And he's like, well, Justin, chill out a little bit. Relationship is just sustained connection. And I'm like, oh yeah, that's amazing. So yeah. let's connect with people. And that sometimes that's enough. And with some, we're going to create relationships. You and I connected. It's there. Maybe this is going to go move into relationship. And that's where, you know, trust, openness, risk comes into play. And yeah. that's kind of our, our leadership philosophy. We just focus on the basics. Yeah. I love that. And I think there's such an important lesson for us in the nonprofit world. And specifically for us, we fundraisers. We are all about connection and building relationships with our donors. But internally, we're so focused on results where there's so much pressure to raise this much money or increase the donor retention rate. And it be can become void of empathy. It can be all about the numbers and performance. And it's such an inauthentic experience for those who are genuinely building relationships externally and creating those connections. And yet to turn around internally and treat your people like a machine. Uh, yeah. That we don't, I don't work with the restaurant industry anymore, but we did early on in our, in our, in our company. And this is the part you expect your, your, your staff to be kind and generous and serve your people and understanding. And they're always, the customer's always right and all that. Yet you don't treat your staff that way. So it, it doesn't work. You have to use the same model. And yeah. if you treat your staff that way, they'll treat others that way. You know, I, I love that you brought that up. I think your external, that's authenticity, you know, consistency in how you, how you behave and how you treat people. Yeah. And we've seen the results of not being authentic, not showing that empathy and genuine care and building those connections with our, our fundraisers, our staff, because there's a staffing shortage now. A lot of fundraisers have either moved on to other jobs thinking the grass is greener, and perhaps it is, or they've left the industry altogether. And that that's a real loss. So we know what to do. It's what you said. It's the courage to show up every day mm. and to say, in the face of this demand and pressure for numbers, I am still going to treat people like humans. Yes. Yeah. And help remove barriers and help them be successful. Because when I can help them be successful, everyone wins. Yeah. And you, you exactly. Same terminology. Like as a leader, I think our number one goal is to set the conditions necessary for success. So what does that mean? You know, and, you know, removing barriers, that, that's exactly it. Capacity building, training, development, connecting with our, with our, with our people and our staff and on a, on a kind, genuine level. So I, I love that. Again, it's what you said there, just set the conditions necessary for success. And as a leader, that is your primary goal, I think is, no, there's a lot of leadership is not easy, but one of them is to make sure that your people are, are successful and you play a part in setting the conditions for that success. Mm, yeah. Amen. Yeah. So tell us about the principles of your high performance process and how that process can be applied to nonprofit organizations and fundraising teams to really drive that culture of productivity, engagement, and retention. Mm -hmm. The thing about high performance, it's like, well, why do I love high performance? Well, high, high performance, it takes aim at the un unpredictable nature of life. That's it. You know, and I, I don't know anyone that has a 100% predictable life. So why not prepare for that? And this is kind of what we bring to, to organizations. And if I was to say specifically on the nonprofit side, we, we come in to the individual, to level up the individual, 
that therefore will level up the team, that therefore will level up the organization. And for us, you know, we don't come up from uh, the strategic side. We come up from the frontline side and provide power and purpose behind alignment and connection to the purpose of the organization. It's a good thing, right? Sometimes, you know, we feel like we've got the us versus them mentality and we hate the organization or, or the cause or whatever it might be, but you know, we're part of that. And the, the faster we could align ourselves to it, the more empowered we feel and the more success that we're going to gain. So our, our high performance model is, is a little bit more complex and it's, it's a, it's a step by step approach. But the first thing is to just, it starts with self-awareness. And then from self-awareness, we move into self-acceptance, accepting the things that you're great at, good at, and need improvement at. And the next piece is that discipline component of what you want to improve and what you want to sustain. But overall, it's just understanding who you are and what you bring to the table and what you need to be able to be at your best self. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it really sounds like it goes back to that philosophy, start with the individual, then the team, and ultimately it shifts the organization. Yes. It sounds so simple. And yet I know in application, like it does take intention and discipline and courage to show up like that every single day. Yes. E even when you've been the equivalent of sleeping in a puddle under a yeah. holy tarp. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I get, I guess we could call it conscience, conscious leadership. Like just be conscious in, in what you're doing. We unconsciously do so many things and react unconsciously to a lot. And all, all we kind of do is we try to get you to, to start being a little bit more conscious. And it's, it's easy. It's like, how do you tie your shoe? Arguably, some people don't even know how anymore because you've been doing it so for so many years. Okay, let's go back and tie your, look at how we actually tie your shoe. And here's a challenge, just tie it differently. By doing one thing different, it just, you know, I'm not a neuroscientist by any means, but it like rewires your brain and how you come to see things and what you do and, and your habits and, and, and all that. And it allows you to just be more conscious in life. Yeah. I went through a professional development course. It was like an eight-week course a few years ago, and they challenged us for, in many, many ways, believe me. But one of the things they said was something simple like that. They said, when you brush your teeth, brush it with the opposite hand that you typically brush your teeth with, all eight weeks. Mm -hmm. And it was, it was just so illuminating yeah. in terms of how we are so unconscious or kind of asleep at the wheel in our lives sometimes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really, really good example as well. Just basic, right? Yeah. Amazing. So tell us about some common internal barriers that nonprofit organizations, and I know you work with for-profit organizations as mm -hmm. well. So some internal barriers that organizations and specifically fundraisers I'm thinking of some things that they might face, barriers they might face when it comes to achieving growth and profitability and how do they overcome these challenges? Yeah, there's obviously so many different things that we could talk about, but the one that I, I'm, I'm, like you said, intuitive, natural, whatever comes kind of we go with, but uh, I, I'm going to talk about accountability this time a little bit. We fear it, right? We're scared to hold people accountable. And it, it, it's interesting because like part of this mass resignation and people leaving, it, it, it's actually part of it. Leaders right now feel like, oh, please don't talk about discipline. They don't want any of that. They want any more rules or micromanagement. Like they're actually craving that. They're craving consistency, accountability, and discipline because high performers want that. 
if you're showing up to work to be your best, you want to be held accountable to the things that you're doing. You want and accountability comes though from the thing that we're missing from accountability is expectation. I can't hold someone accountable to something that they don't know or have not been told about. I think we're we're at a point where we I think we have a little bit we, we're expecting a lot from people and making assumptions that they would know something. But as leaders, we need to go back to make sure that we are speaking expectations, we're de- we're showing what standards are. And we're actually teaching and, and, and instructing people to meet those expectations and, and, and standards and holding them accountable to it. Mm-hmm. It's, that's the knowing, you know, not, there's not a lot of people that thrive in ambiguity and the unknowing, or they're like, yeah, I just want, I just like when I have no clue what's going on. Right. So as leaders, like we need to bring that to organizations and to our teams to hold them accountable and, and discipline isn't yelling and, and screaming. It's, it's just stru- structure. You know, I I always like to use the example in your home, if if your kids or your roommates or whatever, just kind of show up and they kick their shoes off to the side and put their jacket on the floor and eat the food, but don't put it back in the sink and dishes don't get washed. People don't really use the washroom. The dogs don't go outside. They go inside. How do you feel? Morale is great. Exactly. And morale is probably low and all that kind of stuff. That's discipline. We have a discipline in our own home to make sure that it stays clean and it functions well. We, we need to bring that to the organization as well. We can't fear discipline. And this whole relaxed approach is necessary. It's important to create psychological safety. But as humans, we, we're, we're safest under routine, structure, and positive direction. I don't think we need to fear that. I know it's got a bad rep a little bit, and it's associated with authoritative and Machiavellian-style leadership. It doesn't have to be authoritarian. You know, it could be, could be consensus. It could be shared consensus. Mm-hmm. So those are kind of the things that I would, I would, I would bring in. And I, I know it's even harder in the nonprofit because, you know, potentially you're not paying the right amount and people are there more, more potentially volunteering, maybe not, you know, all those factors come in. So you feel like you shouldn't be as hard on your people, but I, I'm, I'm a strong believer that people are expecting to, to, to be held accountable and, and given proper guidelines and expectations to achieve success. Yeah. Yeah. And I've seen in organizations where I've worked or coached and consulted that when we don't hold everyone accountable, those high performers really become kind of disillusioned that others aren't held to a similar standard. And that contributes to them leaving. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's so sad. Yeah. The other thing I've heard you speak about are the three eyes. Would you unpack the three eyes for us? Yes. Leadership is so tough. It don't like, and that's the part. I don't ever say it's easy. It is so difficult and it's so challenging every level, whether if you're just leading yourself, that starts there. It means you lead yourself. That means getting up in the morning. What do you do? How do you push? How does your mind drive that body? Right? So I, I start with that because there's leadership gurus and instructions everywhere now. You know, there's a mass amount of information that we, that we get. But not enough instruction. So if we talk about the three eyes, obviously inspiration is huge. Many people talking, inspire human behavior, inspire your people, inspire that, inspire that. Leaders are going out there and they're like, I'm, I'm inspiring, but nothing's happening. Well, that's because that's just the pop culture, I could say, the communication of leadership. When we go a bit deeper, we realize leadership is a lot harder than that. 
you can't just go out and show up and be charismatic and people are going to move. There's more to it. So that's why I talk about the three eyes. So the three eyes for us is that, you know, before you could start inspiring, you need to instruct and influence. So for me, the first definition of leadership that I received at the age of 12 was a military definition, the Canadian forces definition of leadership, which is leadership is to inspire our influencing human behavior to accomplish a task desired by a leader. So influence was there. So what's influence? I know we're going to simplify it here. Can you pass me that cup of coffee? I, and you did, I just influenced you to act, right? So that's awesome. Inspiration is the next level, but how do I get you to pass that cup of coffee? Well, I have to instruct you how to do it first, right? I know that's an easy task. I always like to go back to, we have to spend the time to instruct our people. And then after we're done instructing them, we could start now influencing them. And after we've influenced them, we could start just inspiring them. If I have time, I could give you an, an, an example that, that kind of brings us all together, if you like. Yeah, please. So leadership first and foremost starts at home and it's hardest at home. Your first leader is your mother. And that's another part I always like to say, our company is, you know, we have this, this tough special forces front, but in reality, it's just my mom, just <laughs> my wife, like my, it's, it's empathy, courage, and self-sacrifice. Like that's just a mom right there. You know, I'll yeah. say a parent just to be a little bit more inclusive. Yes. Inclusive. Okay. Yes. <laughs> so let's, let's look at our children. You know, you you look at your, your child, you're like, oh, you've got your motor skills are on point now. Perfect. Short time. Let's teach you how to, now you would be, you're going to start making your bed. You can't just say, go make your bed. That's influence, right? So you have to actually instruct them on how to make that bed. And the instruction phase starts with the standard is very low. If it's wrinkled, sheets are not tucked, the pillows are not in there. That's okay. We're keep that instruction phase until we master that bed making. When we master that bed making, and that could be years. So influence and instructor could come hand in hand, you know, now they know how to make the bed. So the next day you're going to just say, Hey, don't forget to make your bed. That's influence. Saturday, you're making breakfast downstairs. They rush downstairs and they're ready to eat. Oh, did you make your bed? Do I have to? Yes, you do. You know, I want them to go make the bed. And there goes that, that, that piece. The inspire part is very difficult because you have to inspire that behavior. Now, how do you do that? Well, you got to lead by example. Your bed better be made. Your shoes better be, it's not just in the bedroom though. It's everywhere else. You, you better lead by example by putting dishes away, doing your chores. You know, making sure your room is clean and it goes everywhere. So you could be that inspirational parent. And that day will come where your kid jolts out of the door and you're like, well, oh, I haven't told him to make the bed. You open that door and it's me. You've won. You've inspired human behavior. And of course, they're going to turn 13 and yeah. they're not want to make their bed anymore. And then we go back to that influence or potentially inspire in a different way. Right. We as leaders have to evolve and adapt to the people that we're leading and, and kids are, are growing. They have different influences in their life and we have to match that to be able to inspire them to do the positive behaviors. Mm. So yeah, that's our, the three eyes. And I think uh, I just like to share that just for leaders that are struggling and inspiring people, I feel like everyone's saying inspire, but I can't get anybody to be inspired. Well, there's more work to be done. Yeah. There, there, it's an onion for sure. Yeah. Many layers. Yeah. And as you gave that example of making the bed, I was thinking about how it would apply to onboarding staff. Mm. Oftentimes, I feel like we spend so much time perfecting the position description and where do we post it and, you know, vetting the, the applicants 
for the position and then the multiple rounds of interviews and group interviews and and we finally make the offer and they're on board. Hooray. And then they show up and it's like, oh, what are we going to do with them? How, how are we going to onboard them? How are we going to? And we don't have a plan. We're not as thoughtful and intentional. We're not instructing mm-hmm. and then influencing and inspiring, right? We're not taking them through the three eyes. Yeah. And even those organizations that do a fine job of that, bravo. But then we promote from within. And just like you said, okay, now they're 13. So they've been promoted from a specialist to a manager or a manager to a director. Do we have the same kind of process for instructing them? Like, what does it mean to be a manager? What does it mean to be a director? Like, what are those expectations? The clarity that you spoke about. I just think that's such a powerful tool. I love your analogy and how you connected that back to promoting within because yeah, I'm stealing that. And <laughs> I, 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 yeah, 100%. Like there's a lot of people that get promoted for technical ability, but not leadership ability. And they're not to blame, you know, they're not to blame in that process because they're not taught leadership and they're It's just assumed that you, because you're able to do well, you could help others do well. And so for some people, yeah, you know, 100%, they're, they're good leaders that way, but most of the time you, you need to provide that development. And, and I know it's, it's expensive sometimes. And I know like, but there's so many resources out there. You're a resource, you're a free resource for so many, for so many people, you know, your podcast airs, I think weekly, monthly, weekly, weekly. And that's, that's a resource. I could take something from that. If I'm conscious and intentional in listening to Tammy and her guests and taking notes, you know, take notes, notes are important. pen and paper is important, you know? Yes. So yeah, I really, I really like that, that, that part because it, it actually explains why we fail sometimes as leaders and why we leave as leaders is because again, our organization or our leaders did not set the conditions necessary for us to be successful in that next position that we're getting. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Oh, all right. I recently had the privilege of interviewing Seth Godin about his newest book, The Song of Significance. And if you mentioned like the, the podcast, it's episode 51, if anyone wants to listen. I mean, he's just brilliant and generous and amazing. And in the book, The Song of Significance, he asks the question, what if this was the best job ever, right? So and I think that applies to board members. What if this was the best volunteer leadership role ever? Or even our donors, what if this was the best giving experience ever? So how do we create those conditions? How do we be intentional about crafting that journey in a way that takes into account what the person who's experiencing it, whether again, it's be staff or a board member or a donor, what their values are and what they appreciate and what they value. So from your perspective and view and experience working with teams, what makes a job the best job ever? Yeah. Connection. Connection. Back to that. Like it's, it's not the fact that you did the best project. It's who you did that project. And this doesn't apply. We're so cool as humans. We're so different. Some people are like, I just want to do it alone. I don't know a lot of people that are like that, but I, I definitely have had the best job ever and, and I still do. And it, it, I'm a, this is the part for me is like, again, we, we hear a lot about passion, follow your passion, purpose, follow your purpose. And 
it's it's tough because then it's not it's not in our control. You're supposed to find your purpose, but how? You know, and I think to, to the reason why I'm going there is his best job ever is connected to purpose and, and, and a greater greater piece. And I'm interested to see what your interpretation is of it as well. But so for me, I I, I don't look at purpose and, and, and passion. I look at commitment because I could control that. I think your passion or your purpose is revealed through what you commit to. I work a lot with athletes and they like mostly hockey players. I know we're, we're in Canada. So, <laughs> and, and their, through their commitments to hockey, they become passionate about it, it becomes their purpose. And it's thousands of hours of commitment. So it, their, their purpose is revealed through that. So I, I just want to say that if you're, if you're, if you're lost or you're like, I don't know what my passion is or my purpose is, it's what you commit to. And you could take control of finding what your purpose is. It's not just like you have to like find it. It's out there. You know, your ability to, to commit is what allows you to kind of see that. And obviously you're going to, you're not going to commit to something you hate, right? You're not going to commit to something that's giving you no, no, no dopamine rush, no reward. You're committing to something that's making you feel good. And arguably, you know, with the nonprofit sector, a lot of people commit to those positions to fundraising because they feel great. And then they could, I, I think passion is a, is a, it's a, not symptom. I would say it's a, it's a byproduct of commitment. So, you know, if you're say, if I always like to use this, if you're say you, you, you want to lead a project or you want, you want to go this direction and you're passionate about it and your boss like, well, you just seem really passionate about this. I always coach people like say, Hey boss, I, I'm with you. I'm actually committed to this. And that's why I'm speaking in this way. I'm not just passionate about it. I'm committed. Now we're conscious. Yeah. Passion is an emotion. Tomorrow it could go high or low and it's like happiness and everything else. So we, in the high performance world, we, we look at the controllables, controlling the controllables. I can't control my passion because it is an emotion. I can't control my happiness because it, it is an emotion. It is a byproduct, but I could control the things that do make me happy. Yeah. So I hope that answered it. It does. It does. And I agree. I think that, you know, the best job ever is when you commit to something that gives you that rush, that feeling, and you find that alignment yes. with others for this coming together to achieve. And what makes it the best job ever is that I can see I, we, the team, that we're making measurable progress. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, I get really frustrated. Yeah. But Right. And so it's the commitment that is actually producing action. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, we're blessed to be in, in, in Western civilization, like to be in, in North America, to, to actually ha be able to say that we're, we, we have the best job ever. But, you know, it doesn't apply for everybody. And I, there, at one point in my life, I used to clean office spaces. Mm -hmm. Right. Was that my, the best job ever? No, but I committed to it because I knew there was a greater role. And, but I love that idea. It's great if you, if you are that person that has the best job ever or is striving to do that. But to me, it, you're, it's the best life ever. It's, you know, the best family ever. And the job is just supporting your ability to be, to have the best life ever. So but I just want to caution people with that. If you, you know, if you're showing up to work and you're like, that, you know, I, I'd still have the best job I ever had. Well, that's okay. You could still find purpose and happiness and joy in life outside of that job. So, uh, and you could correct me if I'm wrong here. I just don't want to set the conditions that you must have a job 
that is the best job ever. We're blessed to be able to have that, you know, as, as, as a, a son of immigrants, my, my parents didn't have the best job ever, right? But they definitely had a better life and they definitely had the best life they can compared to the, you know, where, what they had before. Yeah. 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 I mean, I think that the key is finding, again, that committed purpose. Yes. And that could be making certain that my family is better off than the, my immediate past generation. Yeah. Et cetera. But I will tell you a story and it really moves me to tell it. It was pre-pandemic. Everything's men- benchmarked by pre-pandemic, post-pandemic. Pre-pandemic. And it was like the day before Thanksgiving here in the U.S. And I'm at the grocery store trying to get all the ingredients. I've got all the family and extended family. You know, I love to cook. I love to take care of people. So we typically host a big gathering. And the store is chaos. And in that environment, when people are feeling pressure and rushed and it's chaotic, they're not always their highest and best version of themselves, right? So I am in the checkout line and groceries, 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 keep getting scanned. And there's this little gentleman, a, a little, he was a very small, elderly gentleman. It, I made up when I looked at him and I made up that maybe this was a, like a second career for him. Like he had retired and maybe I made this all up, Justin, in the yeah. split second, that he was just filling time or looking for extra pocket money. And I just noticed that despite all of the energy and activity going on around him, he was so careful. Like he put the breads in one bag so they wouldn't get crushed. He put the vegetables, he stacked things and from heaviest to, to lightest in the cart. And I said, I just want to thank you and acknowledge you for the care that you're taking Yes. with the groceries. He stopped and he looked me square in the eye and he said, why wouldn't I? As I pack these groceries, as I pack this food for you, I'm picturing you serving your family Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. I'm picturing maybe your parents and your children and your grandchildren. I'm picturing this, this Norman Rockwell painting. And so it's my honor to take care packaging the food that you will serve, the love that you will give to your family. And I almost burst into tears. I mean, yeah. I could cry right now just thinking about it. Mm-hmm. And so I would say it's what meaning you bring yes. to the work that you're doing, whether it's the most light, the best job you ever had, or it's the job you have now. Yes. The, yeah. The choice that you make. The choice that like, you make. You probably heard of this quote before. Life is, is between B and D, birth and death. What's between B and D? C, choices. This man uh-huh. chose to go to work and make meaning out of that. He could also choose. There's a lot of people that go choose to not do that, right? And you know, I, I, I'm huge with this. And I yesterday I, I I flew back into the city and I came to get my Uber ride. And the driver sent me a message saying, "Hey, can I get the address you're going to?" I said, I, "I'm sorry, I'm uncomfortable in doing that to type that up for you." He's like, and then he just canceled the call, the the ride. So it took me to another person, and he came in and got me. It's, I, I live far away from the airport. So I told this, 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 the, the driver, I'm like, hey, like, this is the second time it's happened to me where they just cancel on me. Can, can I know why? He's like, what's going on here? He's like, oh, okay, well, this is what's happening. They're gold, they're gold members, so they're new. And they don't get to see the address of where they're taking you until they receive a certain amount of drives or status. 
I'm a platinum driver, so I know, and I already knew that this is a far drive. So of course I'm going to take it. And I'm like, okay, I had a little bit more empathy to why they would cancel that call. But at the same time, like you can't climb a tree from the top. And this is the piece for me. It's like, well, I would still try and do everything I can, even if it was a, a short, a short ride. Cause I know if I do my part, I will get to the platinum and I will start seeing rides. Right. And I, I just like, and I talked to him, he was, you know, immigrant from Nigeria. And he's like, yeah, you know, when I was first doing, I just took everything. Cause I, I knew when I get to this status, I can, and this is the part that we got to remember. I, I don't believe life has shortcuts. I, I know technology is helping us out a lot and chat GPT and AI and all that kind of stuff. But it, it, it to, to be able to be that high performer, you've got to do the hard stuff. The hardship, like you said, in the intro is, is what gets us to where we are. It's part of life. It starts at day one and yeah, so that's kind of the, to, to that, that piece, bring meaning into different levels, understand where you are in an organization. It's day one as a fundraiser, you know, you're not going to bring in the million dollars, but what, 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 pro, what process are you going to follow? That's going to be able to get you to be able to get a million dollars, not in 10 years, but maybe in three, right? Yeah. And if you commit to that, you'll get there. Yeah. Love it. Choice. 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 Retaining top talent is crucial for both businesses and nonprofit organizations, and we've talked about that a bit. Recent surveys of fundraisers report that they feel unappreciated, overworked, and that fundraising as a profession is undervalued. What strategies or techniques do you recommend to nonprofit leaders for increasing fundraiser satisfaction, retention, and creating a more positive work culture? Yeah, that's a tough one. And I'm happy you said other organizations. So to the leaders that are listening to this podcast, I just want to say it's not just hurting you. It's not just hitting you. It's not just your organization. I think it's a, it's a nationwide and um, well, everyone is kind of facing that. So that's one piece. So just, you know, take a breath and understand that it's, it's bigger than, it's not just you. And well, sometimes you're not you, alone. You're not, thank you. You're, that's the word I was looking for. You're not alone. You know, you're not alone. It's everywhere. But I want to take it back to, to connection, expectation, you know, and that's the part and, and the standards, you know, sometimes we feel like if we elevate standards, people are going to shy away or not want to be with us or whatever, but that's not true. They, that's the knowing. And arguably when they're performing at a lower level, you're treating them differently, but yet they don't know that you want them at a higher level. So I think Openness and transparency needs to come back into the workplace in reference to accountability and what we want from our people. Conflict resolution, you know, conflict is actually a positive conflict is a, one of the attributes and principles of, of high-performing teams. That's how they make decisions. They need it to be able to be, to maintain that level of, of performance. So I, in, in short, I would, I would say, let's go back to expectations. Let's go back to not making assumptions that uh, the people that we're bringing in know what to do and have, you know, they, they are, they do know, respect what they know for sure, but also don't shy away from providing the expectations and providing that, 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 that piece. And, and the other one about it is that again, the reason why leadership is, is challenging is because people are challenging. People are dynamic. People are hard. People are fun and people are exciting. So as leaders, we have to be like that too. We have to understand human behavior and understand the challenges that people go through and make it okay. 
and, but not just make it okay, but say, Hey, like, I understand this is how you are, but this is where we're trying to go and let's go. Right. Yeah. So I don't know if that answered it, but I, I think we just, as, as organizations and as leaders, we just need to level up on our expectations of people and, and, and not create an unknowing, unknowing piece. Mm-hmm. Feedback, performance evaluations, like people don't even, people are leaving organizations because they don't know how they're doing. Yeah. And, you know, to bring in the special forces side of it and, and special forces selection, like after day one, we provide zero feedback to candidates and to some this is why they quit because they don't six days and they don't know how they're doing. So they'll just, I'm done. I I can't take it anymore. Feedback is really, really important. I mean, it's by design. We do it for a different reason, but, but we, you shouldn't do that in your workplace. Provide (laughs) uh, constant ongoing feedback and continuous feedback uh, to your people. Mm -hmm. And I love that combined with what you said earlier around expectation Mm -hmm. and not with a hammer necessarily, not as you said, not by yelling at people, but by by saying, "I believe in you." Yeah, like we're going to teach you how to. We're going to instruct. We're going to add to the gifts and talents that you bring, so that we can get here for this purpose. And like, just pour it so people feel like you're valuing them. You're pouring into them and appreciating them. I think a little acknowledgement and some encouragement goes a long, long way. It does. Yeah. And I also and, and think thoughtful it, ones, not just like, oh, good job. Like, yeah. actually, tell me what, I, what, what you're talking about. You know, like, I really like how you wrote that. And I appreciate that your sentence, we'll just use grammar, your sentence structure and how you, how you shape that letter or form that letter to really connect with, with the, the donor, you know? Yeah. Be specific in why they did a good job. Yeah. I love that. And I feel like that when authentically, consistently, when it's merited, Doing that creates a space for when you need to bring an issue. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So good. Last official question, Justin. What's your best advice for fundraisers and nonprofit leaders as they prepare for what may predictably be a more challenging economy as we move into the fourth quarter or at best and continued uncertainty in the economy? What advice do you have for them? Yeah. Preparation. You know, yeah. I always we always talk about ape, the ape inside you, attitude, preparation, effort. Yeah, those are the controlling the controllables. I can't control what the what's next. I can't control whether, you know, government stops funding nonprofits because now we're at a full time war or full time war, whatever. And, you know, all assets are going to the to the war machine. I can't control that, right? But what I could control is that ape inside me and making that ape very, very strong and attitude, preparation, effort. And that and then we could start talking about resilience, but it, it goes, it goes to, to that, that piece and preparation is planning and understanding that what you've, what you're doing today might not apply tomorrow. In, in addition to self-awareness, we, we talk a lot about situational awareness, understanding the environment you're operating in and where it could potentially be, but you are the best tool to combat whatever change happens. And this is why going back to the beginning, we start with self, right? So. Figure out, control the controllables. And when, when, when things go, you know, left or right, or the challenge, whatever that, another pandemic, whatever that might be, you're ready and you're resilient to take on that challenge. That's the only thing I, I could, I could say. So this is the thing that we talk about skill. We, we train skill for the knowing. So you train a fundraiser on how to communicate, on how to 
and draft the best donor letter and all that kind of stuff, right? But we work on attributes to tackle the unknown. So what are these attributes? Perseverance, tenacity, you know, courage. And this is what we're looking for when we're, when we're maybe in the onboarding process and the hiring process. A better example would be like, if we go into the trades world and you've got like, you know, a, a mechanic, we'll say, keep it generic. And that mechanic is working or a millwright is working on a pump. So they've been taught all the skills necessary to fix that pump. We know that, you know that, we all know it, that they're able to do it. So that's for the, for, for your trained skills for the knowing. If it goes down, you know what to do. But this is where attributes come in. If it's minus 30 outside, I don't know if you get minus 30 down there. If it's minus 30 outside, right? The, no one has touched this pump for the last six, seven years. All the bolts are, are tough on there. So you need to like, you know, push through. And when you open it up, the oil squirts in your face. Now you're a one-eyed mechanic. Now this is where attributes come in. Am I going to push through the conflict? Am I going to persevere through it? Right? I'm, I'm going to take a breather. I'm going to step away and say, okay, what's going on here? And come back and tackle the problem. So it, it, when we're dealing with the unknowing, it's your attributes that matter not so much your skill. Mm -hmm. So skills for what, for the knowing attributes for the unknowing skill mm -hmm. that attributes are developed. Yeah. Powerful, really powerful. This has been amazing, Justin. Thank you. Same here. It's good to chat with you. Yeah, you too. All right. So but you're not off the hook yet. Okay. At, at the end of each episode, I like to ask a few rapid fire, insightful questions to add just an even more value for our listeners. Are you ready? I hope so. <laughs> Undoubtedly, you are. Number one, what's the best fundraising or leadership advice you've ever received? I'll go leadership advice. Not sure. I, I mean, I'll say shut your mouth. That was the advice. But to just really listen, to stop talking, you know, to li truly listen consciously. And, and that's, that's a skill, right? That yeah. can be trained every single day and practiced every single day. And for me, I write it on top of my notebook, depending on what media I'm going to listen, sometimes a bit more aggressive with myself. So I will say shut up or whatever. <laughs> and that's, I think that, that, that would, that would be it is just to consciously and empathetically listen to what people are saying. And when you listen to also validate, and that's, that's active listening. We think active listening is just listening and you don't say anything. That's not true. What you're, the things you're saying is to kind of elaborate on what you heard. So yeah, I would, I would say that's probably been the best one and the one that I continue to work on every single day. Mm -hmm. Very good. What book do you recommend to our audience and why? Mm, right now, I just finished reading The Intelligence Con Intelligent Conversation, really good book. And it just talks about how conversations is actually intelligence and how we could elevate our intelligence just through con conversation. And it talks a lot about how we could create safe, psychologically safe spaces with our conversation, our tone, our direction. and, and all that. And again, that's, that's, I could control that. Right. So I, I love going direct where, with things that I could control. So and it, it goes a, a long way that your appearance, communication, appearance is part of communication, right? So understanding, understand language and all that, understanding how that, that is, that is. So I, I would say that that book has been tremendous for me. What are the three most important traits a nonprofit leader must possess or any leader? I would have to go with the empathy, courage, and self-sacrifice, right? Yeah. Those, those were all there. And, and through that, authenticity is born. 
through connection, authenticity, authenticity is born and, and trust and integrity. So yeah, there's so many, but I would say those right now. What's your favorite conference and why? That's, I mean, what, what would Dave say if I didn't say the Western fundraising conference, right? So I'd have to, I'd have to say that. And why is the, just, I mean, you were there, just the, the environment and how prepared people are to just come and, and learn and grow. And, and they're, they're empowering self to empower others, right? Like, it's so cool. I, I love that, that part about nonprofit. I mean, is the, you come in and you're trying to be the best version of yourself. So you go help your organization or your cause. Yeah. How great is that? What a great yeah. connection to make into life where the better I am, the better my world is. And this is why I, I do what I do. Like I, this is why I, I'm hard on myself and this is why I only compete with myself. Cause I know the better I am, the better I will be for the world around me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the Western Canada fundraising conference has been named one of the 12 best conferences in the world. And I know that the 2024 dates have been announced. They're at the end of May this year, and it will be held in Winnipeg. And there is an early bird, or maybe it's even an extra early bird price discount going on right now. So if any of our listeners want to learn more about that specific conference, which I agree is amazing, we'll include a link to it in the show notes and you can check it out yourself. All right, last question. Justin, knowing what you know now about leadership, what advice would you give your younger self just getting started in your career? I already used listen. So I, I would say courage, more confident, you know, even to this day, I still like to operate in the shadows and I don't throw myself out there too, too much. So, and that, that, you know, I'll admit that's out of a fear. I, I potentially fear of criticism. I'm, I'm not sure exactly what it is working on it. We always got to work on ourselves. And so I would say, I would say that you're, you're born to lead, like you're born to lead yourself and, and leadership isn't like, isn't authoritative. Like it's not a certain style. I work with so many leaders that want to lead because the way the boss led, or they want, they want to lead because of the way they read it in a book and they come in and they make these, all these changes and it becomes unauthentic. Just be you don't be Oprah. Don't be Simon Sinek. Don't be. Tony Robbins or any other leader that you're looking at in the world. Don't be me. Don't be Tammy, you know, be you. And yeah. when you're just you, you will create a movement around you because it's through your, because you're obviously connecting with people and you're being authentic. Just, you are beautiful. You're awesome. And yeah. just share that with the world. Brilliant. Brilliant. Again, Justin, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. Pleasure. Yeah. yeah. If you want to learn more about Justin, his incredible work at All Around Consulting, or to follow him on social media, we've included links to his handles in the show notes, as well as links to all the other resources that we've talked about today. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Intentional Fundraiser podcast, and keep on transforming your fundraising so you can transform the world. The Intentional Fundraiser podcast is a fundraising transformed original. It's hosted by me, Tammy Zonker, founder and president of Fundraising Transformed, where we help equip and empower fundraisers, nonprofit leaders, and board members to transform their fundraising so they can transform the world. Visit fundraisingtransform.com slash podcast to subscribe to this podcast and subscribe to my newsletter to get fundraising lessons, tools, and helpful resources delivered straight to your inbox each month. 
If you want my help with taking your fundraising to the next level, become a member of my Fundraising Transformers community as a growth member and join me live each month where I'll teach you the same strategies I use to lead, train, and coach thousands of nonprofits, social service organizations, healthcare foundations, private schools, colleges, and universities to collectively raise more than a half billion dollars including a single gift of $27.1 million. As a member, you can participate in my Ask Me Anything sessions every month and get answers to your burning questions. Chat with other growth members inside our private and safe online community about what you're working on, struggling with, and share lessons learned. And get instant access to my growing library of on-demand self-paced training classes. New content is added every single month. Learn more about becoming a member at fundraisingtransform.com slash growth. Talk soon.